This is with an Ohio bias for podcast for real fans with D and Jake. Show two twenty seven ridiculousness. A lot of that going around, Jake. Uh, when it comes to our favorite sports teams here, uh, <laughs> we're going to of course start with the Cavs and uh, the return of one LeBron James and the late L A Lakers coming to Cleveland to play and uh, the departure of some players, J R Smith and maybe some others here. Uh, if I'm if I get some of my wishes, um, and I'll be very thankful for that. Um, we're going to talk about the Browns and possible coaching hires, um, maybe former Secretary of State, and uh, what we can. Uh, assume with the Bengals this week. Uh, Jake, let's get to it. J.R. Smith wanted out. It looks like he's going to get his wish, and that's going to be right before he could even say goodbye to his buddy LeBron. Um, maybe he'll be saying hello if the Lakers pick up J.R. Smith. Yeah, actually, that'd be a good place for him to land, for sure. That's uh, uh, the land of the misfit toys, and, and what would be more entertaining than seeing Lance Stevenson, JaVale McGee, and J.R. Smith all on one team? I mean, geez, oh, man, you talk about a sideshow. That would be awesome. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, this is too late. I mean, it, I, I put this on Dan Gilbert and Kobe Altman, and uh, we heard the story earlier this week about Kyrie, uh, the betrayal of LeBron James when uh, they told him that, uh, they wouldn't trade him to Boston, and then they turned around and trade him to Boston for what has amounted to Rodney Hood, Jordan Clarkson, and Larry Nance. Uh, so not only didn't they get what they could, what they should have, um, it just was another you know nail in the casket of LeBron James's career in Cleveland. The Varden article with the Kyrie trade and the revelation that something that we already knew Dan Gilbert has a little bit of an ego. Shocker. Um, you know, when it comes to that trade, LeBron didn't want the trade, but what was LeBron doing to help facilitate the return of Kyrie? You know what I mean? Like, that that's the thing that always sits with me, you know, like the, the hands-off, you know, passive-aggressive approach that he always took with the Cavs. Maybe not with other franchises and whatnot, but with the Cavs, we saw play out, and we knew there was always going to be a pushback and an overreaction from Dan Gilbert, i.e., if we even go back to the letter. So we know all that history. And that, yes. that article, especially coming back this week with his return, just doesn't sit well with me, just with the timing of it. This is a thing of something that we already know. Maybe not this specific story, but we already know that Dan screwed this up when he let David Griffin go. We already know all these things. You know what I mean? Like, So, I mean, this just seems like a cover for LeBron not to be the bad guy and make Dan look like the bad guy as he comes back into Cleveland wearing another jersey yet again well i mean dan is the bad guy here you know it goes back to you hit it the comic sans letter you know and letting david griffin walk and not paying the guy that put the team together and and held the team together more importantly you know this this wasn't like all of a sudden kyrie and lebron were uh, buddy buddies and then uh, then kyrie wanted out of here you know, I think it had a lot to do with David Griffin not being here and being able to play the peacemaker. And, yeah, I mean, LeBron was passive-aggressive. LeBron's always been kind of passive-aggressive. He's always wanted that, that, uh, that I, it wants to be loved. You know, that, that's LeBron's M.O. And uh, it, it just, you know, it's, it's one thing after another with uh, Dan Gilbert and uh, his ego, and, and I think you hit it right on the head with that. Yeah, but my thing is, Nothing's going to change that now. We're all past that point. The championship happened. They split up. You know, Dan's running the team into the ground yet again, and LeBron mm-hmm. stating these old facts is not helpful to Cavs fans. It's almost like another punch in the gut from him, you know, knowing that the guy's going to probably drop 50, you know, Wednesday night too. So, you know what I mean, like as he did against the Miami Heat. 
So, I mean, it, that, that doesn't help me feel good as a Cavs fan, and I don't think it really is necessary right now. That's why I just think it's poor timing on his revelation. And we know, you know what I mean, he basically did this just because of the return. That That's what he wanted to frame the story. And I just think that that shows a small part of LeBron when it comes to that. You know what I mean? Uh, Let it just be yeah, about uh, whatever the fans want to do for you. The Cavs were going to show a tribute video. But you take the time to kick Dan Gilbert's back in at this moment. Just to, You could do that in the off season. You could do that at the all-star break. But to do it the, the moment that you come into the building that night is just a bad look. And that's just the way that I looked at it. I mean, I, I really don't care about all the spilt milk. We, we can't go rewrite history. We already know these things. You know what I mean? So, I mean, that, that to me, and, and once again, though, the whole thing, though, gives me a small window into LeBron not doing anything to mend the Kyrie situation because that's the thing that we harped on. Even though David Griffin was gone and all those things, LeBron still could have reached out to Kyrie and said, hey, man, what can we do to make it right so that we can play together? And that still wasn't well, I mean, out of Dan Gilbert's hands because, like, you know what I'm saying, Gilbert had paid. I mean, the one thing Gilbert has done, regardless of all his meddling and, and bad trade deals and things like that, is the guy has ponied up the dough. So a lot of guys do all these things and they don't, you know, pony up the dough. So, I mean, you know, my thing is where is LeBron's culpability in this? I mean, I think all parties involved are blamed and, and nothing, of course, is going to happen. But I don't need to read a story about it like it's breaking news. No, I, and I think I agree with you. I mean, uh, there's no doubt. Dan gets some credit, to, for sure, for paying the luxury taxes and doing everything he could to bring a championship to Cleveland. And uh, and, I'll, and I'll give him credit for that, for sure. Uh, and I think you're right about LeBron, you know, taking it to – he always wants to frame the story the way it's going to look the best on him. And, you know, but as far as the Kyrie thing, I mean, that's the one thing we don't know. We don't know what exactly LeBron did to try to mend the relationship. Maybe he did make the phone call to Kyrie, and Kyrie said, kiss my ass, I don't want to talk to you. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a little bit of uh, mystery, I think, in that element there. Where I got the problem right now with the Cleveland Cavaliers and Kobe Altman and Dan Gilbert is this illusion that they're trying to rebuild on the fly, and it doesn't happen in the NBA. You're either in purgatory or you're a championship contender, or you're bad enough to potentially get one of the best players coming out of college so that you can get back into contention as a championship-type team. Uh, you could spin your wheels and be the Indiana Pacers for the next 15 years if you want and keep Kevin Love, or you could do what you should have done at the beginning and blown the whole thing up and gone with the youth movement right from the start. And now you got you got players like Kyle Korver and J.R. Smith that are angry, and it's another bad look on Cleveland as an organization. And that's where I've got the problem with what's going on here uh, with the management and the ownership. Yeah, no, it definitely is an organization that is failing right now. It's failing the city. It's failing as Cavs fans as a team. Um, and I, I agree with that totally. You know, the one thing with it is, you know, even with that, like, I'm just with moving forward. So there's disillusionment in Washington right now with the Wizards. They're talking about blowing it up. The Cavs need to do everything they can without trading a draft pick to get Bradley Beal to Cleveland. Like, and you talk about, the you know, some teams actually can do it. The Celtics have changed their roster three times over the last three years. Now, Danny Ainge has done a great job in, you know, accumulating all those draft picks and whatnot, so that made it a little easier. And we know the Cavs went the opposite direction, going all in for the championship. But it can be done if you have some type of alignment and some type of guy who's not an egomaniac. So it brings me to the point where I would go all in for Bradley Bill, and it also brings me to another point of something that we talked about 
um, the last time we spoke, is we need Patino. I actually, the more and more I thought about yeah. it, Patino makes more sense <laughs> because the guy has that personality to go back and forth with Dan. We need that strong personality. Um, or hey, Dan's got to get somebody respect. I think he really wanted Chauncey Billups to be the president. That, of course, hire didn't work out. He, he at least needs somebody that's going to push back and keep this guy from, you know, calling and trying to make his own trades and things like that and actually respect somebody of a basketball acumen. Nice. I'm glad you came around on Patino. I, I th- I've been calling for that all along. I, lo- I, I think it's a great idea and a good hire, and at least it makes you interesting again. Right now, that's the problem. With I mean, it, I think the thing has the potential to blow up, like, you know what I'm saying? Sure I'm about to say something bad. <laughs> but but uh, the thing has the potential to blow up, like, the 4th of July. But, you know what I mean? Why not go for the more combustible situation? And yet again, <laughs> like, to use Dan's favorite term, even though he's selling Greek town, take the gamble, you know? so <laughs> I agree completely. Uh, as far as Bradley Beal and John Wall go, I know it, no part of John Wall, and not necessarily even because of his talent or his personality. That contract, that Supermax contract is a nightmare to try to handle for the next four years. Uh, Beal's a little bit more manageable, but then again, you look at it and it's like, how much better does Bradley Beal make you? And is he going to be a position, in a position to still be a top player when this team is ready to, to win? Can they be ready to win and compete for an NBA championship? And that's what we're talking about here in the next three years, four years, because I don't think you can do it in the next two years. And I'm not, I didn't look into his contract very much, but I just don't know if, if he's going to make you better in the long term and prevent you from being bad enough in the short term to position yourself to get one of those three Duke kids. Duke, one of the Duke kids or Bowl Bowl, which I also like a lot. Um, yeah. You know, like, Plus um, the name. But Bowl, my Bowl. thing is, I need something that, you know what I'm saying, is going to help these guys get better right now because these guys developing these bad habits and just the body language and whatnot that you see out there. If I put uh, – and here's the one good thing. Colin Sexton actually is starting to show flashes. I mean, the guy is actually – he left the game last night in the third quarter, but he had 18 points up to that point. He's been scoring 20-plus a game. So that's a great sign, even though he's on a bad team, that he's showing. So if you put him with a veteran guard, pairing then you have something that you can build around you then add one of the small forwards from duke rj barrett would be my preference other over zion but i know everybody loves the flash of zion if you have the shooting of a bradley bill then you could see the makings of a team there that can you know what i'm saying start to compete with the other guards and backcourts in the eastern conference i mean if if, if we're talking about three or four years down the line then the Cavs got to draft well and i don't have that much hope in that so well and i think that you hit something on the head there as far as uh, the attitude of the team, and learning bad habits. And I'll go back to when the Cavs brought in Larry Hughes in, uh, in, his, in LeBron's first season. And what Larry Hughes taught LeBron to do was to whine and cry for everything. And, and it was a bad habit that is now all the way in his career, and that's one of the things I always couldn't, always couldn't stand about LeBron is just how, how big of a crybaby he was pretty much all the time uh, and how much it was always all about him. Um, and it, it, I think that you need to find guys and bring back guys that are professionals and that and veterans that are going to teach these guys the right way to play, the right way to react, the right way to, way to go about your life being an NBA professional, and, uh, and that's going to go a long way to getting this team 
in a spot uh, where you can compete. George Hill is a great example, I think, of leadership. Uh, but you look on this roster, and it's really Kyle Korver, another one that's a great example of that. But you, you've, you've put hit them in positions where now even Kyle Korver has to, be, has to look like kind of a, a jerk for saying, hey, you promised me one thing, and I'm still here on this roster, and I want out. Uh, so I, I think you've got to bring back some guys that are going to be professionals and, and show these young guys, and, and with upside too. I mean, you've got to bring back some guys that you can look at and say, okay, they could be here in the next three, four years and fit a role and do something to contribute to winning in, in, uh, in Cleveland. Yeah, but that, that's why I think Bradley Bill is on that cusp of elite talent in the NBA. He has elite skill, um, and he's shown in the playoffs that, like, the guy, I mean, when, as long as he can get, get the ball and John Wall's not shooting up eight three-pointers, he can actually produce. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was high on Bill. I don't think the Cavs could get him without trading the draft pick. That's the only thing that worries me. Um, his right. contract, actually, he's the third He's the third highest paid on that team. If you remember, Otto Porter got that huge contract with the free agent, you know what I'm saying, match from the Brooklyn deal. So, you know what I'm saying, it's John Wall, Otto Porter, then Bradley Bill. So, um, but – Excited, actually, the way Tristan is playing. I think that he's now put himself yeah, in a position where he's a, where he's a commodity now. You know, I mean, I, I think that a team can look at him and say, "Hey, this guy, in the year that they won the championship, he was really the big key because without his rebounding and defense and the way he played, uh, they don't beat Golden State." So uh, I, I can really see us getting a little bit back now in, in return for Tristan Thompson. Where at the beginning of the year, I was like. Yes, we're stuck with this contract for a while, and he's no help whatsoever. So that's been the one surprise, uh, I think, of the season. And uh, I know you wanted to talk there about George Hill for a second, and uh, please do, because I think he might be another one that another team could look at if he could get healthy as a guy that uh, could come in and play a backup guard role and and still can play a little bit of defense and be a, a good backup point guard to whoever their number one is. Yeah, I'm all for trading anybody on this team. Like, I'll be honest with you. And I am happy that Tristan has played well. Yeah, I mean, because the thing is, like, you need to acquire those assets, like kind of mentioned with, you know, Ainge and the Celtics. I mean, that's what the Cavs need. They need to be Mm – and like like you talked about, you know, like, I mean, that's what they should have been in the summertime. They should have been trying. But I I think the Cavs have a a one problem working against them, Jake. They don't got a lot of trade partners out there. You brought up the Pacers and where they're at. Well, remember, Dan Gilbert was shooting his mouth off about them. So, you know, there you go, Dan Gilbert, you know, talking about they should have got a better trade back. So – I'm pretty sure Kevin Pritchard and the Pacers aren't looking to do deals with Kobe Altman and the Cavs, knowing that they probably are going to try to get fleeced. So um, I think that they're going to have to look at really doing something in this front office as well to help. Um, but I don't see it happening. But I think that would be a move that would help the Cavs out. They just got to do something, man. I mean, rather than having people telling fans not to boo LeBron because they'll be assholes. And that's what you get with George Hill. And I, I think some of these Cavs guys just need to stop talking for a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's just, I know that the media is all over them and stuff like that, but you just got to, you know, make comments without making comments. You know what I mean? Like, and, yeah. and that's where I think they're at right yeah. now because I, I put up the one thing, the confidence meter in Altman and Gilbert is really not high. So they got to do something shocking, and that's why I think the Bill move. I know, you know what I'm saying, it's pie in the sky, but – Something to that effect, because if you see Jimmy Butler, you know, move twice in two seasons, um, you've got to try to acquire talent when it's out there. And I know the Cavs were trying to do that as well, but 
I mean, you could move a Jordan Clarkson as well. I mean, Lord knows my heart would go on like Titanic in uh, the famous Celine Dion song, especially if they move Rodney Hood. So I'm all for moving anybody. <laughs> well, and, and the other thing about that is I don't think anybody was really thinking about booing LeBron to begin with. I, I think we've all come to terms with the fact that, you know what, he brought us the championship. He did what he said he was going to do, and this team wasn't going anywhere, and the blame went on Dan Gilbert. And whether that's deserved or not, I think that's where it is. And uh, when LeBron comes home and he's announced, I, I think it's going to be a standing ovation. And then after that, they may boom every once in a while when he's got the ball or if it becomes a closed game or something like that. But that's because he's competing against the Cavaliers, let's hope, and not because of the way he looks exactly. the Cavaliers. It, exactly. And the, the whole thing was everybody blamed Dan. It was no doubt. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, like, and we and we felt like LeBron had earned the right to not deal with this at this point in his career. Like, so nobody was upset. I, at least, uh, let me say, right. I wasn't upset. That's the way that I felt, and I thought a lot of people felt that way. But um, just the the yeah. way that the, he's using the media to paint this story at this juncture for this week, I just don't need it, man. Like, there's a lot else going on in Ohio that we need to focus on. The Browns got a chance to maybe keep themselves in the playoff hunt with a Bengals win. And, of course, we got the game going on down there in your neck of the woods. You know what I mean? So it's just a lot more, you know what I mean, that I didn't need to be dealing with this nonsense in the side of my head. So I don't know. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about a team that we that is actually going in the right direction, and I'm excited about here. D. Our Cleveland Browns are going in the right direction. What do you say? Well, I'll say this: I was wrong. I was wrong about one guy. <laughs> you saw it on there. You know, I was wrong, man. This Joe Schobert guy is the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, without him, the Browns' defense looked like absolute garbage. So I did not know the impact that he had. He must be bigger in the locker room than I could expect, and he's also been bigger on the field. So um, I think about that interception that he had in the driving rain. I mean, I thought he should have ran it all the way back. But even then, man, the guy just has been making plays, and it was good to see him back out there on the field. And he's a huge part of them winning before that bye week, um, which was much earned. They got a very much needed bye week, and they're going to be healthier going into this Bengals matchup. Yeah, I think he said it all there. I mean, the guy's a force in the locker room. Uh, he's on the field, one of the best cover linebackers in the league at this point, and we saw it by his absence and what tight ends do against the Browns when he's out there. Um, and he's also a playmaker, so it's, he's he's got uh, a special it quality to him for sure. And in this league, and God knows we saw it last night in uh, on Monday Night Football with the Rams and the Chiefs, you know, defense isn't the wave of the future. And the way you're going to compete defensively in this league is to have some playmakers that are going to get turnovers, that are going to come up with a negative play in a big moment. And uh, that's the type of player you need. You need a Denzel Ward. You need a Miles Garrett. As a matter of fact, you need two more of those guys. If you have five playmakers on defense, I think you can, you can play and be in a good spot. Uh, but you're also going to need a lot more playmakers on offense, especially at the wideout position. Uh, and uh, at least two more linemen. You need three quality linemen, I think. Uh, so this team's got a little bit of ways to go. But, hey, for once it's exciting. We're actually almost in November, or we're almost to the end of November, and we're talking about a win that can put us in a position to potentially talk about some meaningful December football. And that's all I wanted was hope and to be able to play meaningful games in the month of December, and we're in a position to do that. So, uh, man, I'm, I'm doing cartwheels over the job John Dorsey has done so far in one season. <laughs>
Yeah, and it's amazing. Um, we saw the penalties go down. So, you know, one of the things I talked about was wanting a coach that bring in some discipline. I like that Greg Williams has bought that somehow within, you know, a week's time, you know what I mean, in a couple weeks' time in the firing of Hugh Jackson and Todd Haley. Um, in the midst of all these things, the Browns are still in a position, like you said, the Bengals are 5-5 five and five going into this game. The Browns, we all know, are 3-6-1, and one, so 5-6, and 4-6-1. and, six and one. I mean, to cut that gap and be in the hunt in the AFC North and still have games against, you know, we still got another game against the Bengals um, and games in the division to win, I mean, it's, it's a very exciting time. Um, I'll say this too, man, the offense – this Baker Mayfield guy just, you know, makes things go as well. So as you have Joe Sherbert on winning, and I'll say this about Sherbert too, the guy's not even 100% healthy. I can see that out yeah. there, and the guy's still making plays, man. And to see him come back, because he could have waited to the bye. He could have told them, hey, help me out one more week and let me get this two weeks to be done. But, no, that guy came back to make a play, and it made a difference, man. He helped the team win, and that's what you need. And one other thing, i seen a mock draft. I know we're not going to go big into that right now, but you talk about adding another playmaker, young gentleman from LSU to add another quarterback to go back to the old top dog days. If we added a Greedy Williams, it uh, would be pretty nice. So I saw him in a mock draft yeah. to the Browns at eight, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. There's a couple defensive ends at Mississippi State that look pretty nice. I'd like to have another bookend with mm-hmm. Miles Garrett. Um, you know, a, a fast rush linebacker would be great. Uh, so, yeah, I think they're in a position now still with a, plenty of draft picks uh, to get a couple more impact players next year. And, and then you fill in also around free agency, and they've got the room there as well. And the thing that Dorsey said in that interview with Bull and Fox was that, you know, you, you owe it to the organization to look three years down the road and to be fiscally responsible. And, yeah, you want to go out and maybe sign a Des Bryant or whatever, but, you know, you don't want to hamstring yourself when all these contracts are coming up at the same time with Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward and these guys. So uh, I think that, you know, what, what, what John Dorsey did for Jimmy Haslam was set Jimmy Haslam free. He let Hugh Jackson, he let Jimmy say, okay, I want to give you a chance. And John Dorsey said, okay, we'll give Hugh Jackson a chance. And he gave him just enough rope to hang himself. And I think that proved to, John, to Jimmy Haslam that, you know what, this guy knows what he's doing and I don't. And I think that's why he's going to, John Dorsey's going to get the final say now on football decisions, and we may just see Jimmy Haslam back off and be an owner that's going to enjoy a a winning football team for once. Uh, And then one other thing I wanted to mention, too, is we don't want to do it, but I'm going to do it. Let's give just a little bit of credit to Sashi Brown and that front office for accumulating the draft picks, for taking a few guys that actually are going to work out here uh, last year and the year before, and, uh, and helping out in, this, in speeding up this process. Because Dorsey came in and did a great job in this draft, but he did have some pieces to work with. And uh, they never got the quarterback right, but they did get something, some things right. Yeah, they had some hits, but too many misses, and that's why they're not around anymore. Um, sure. I'll tell you this, too. Uh, one thing I like about John Dorsey, you bring up that press conference, Dorsey's not doing this all alone. You know, like he built together a team of guys that we have been talking about possibly bringing in the GMs. If we talk about Elliot Wolf, he's got, you know what I mean, Alonzo Highsmith yep. in there. So he talks about his football team guys. all the time. You know what I mean? Yeah, football guys. Exactly, exactly. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, he gets the credit because his name's on the GM, you know, and he says buddy boy. But, you know, it's a, it's a team of guys in there now, <laughs> football people, who are helping run this thing. Yep. And it's not just, you know, Sashi 
making it up as it goes along, but at least Sasha knew where the fax machine was, so we didn't get AJ in here. <laughs> um, I'll give him credit for that. Thank when God. we look into this, this uh, well, I, and we look into one other thing, John Dorsey is also floating rumors out there to try to catch people with their pants down and find out who's the leader. <laughs> um, Condoleezza Rice, ladies and gentlemen, is not going to coach the Browns, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she's a great Browns fan. She knows a lot about football, especially college football. She was on the committee, um, but I don't think she has the experience level to walk in and coach an NFL football team day one. Will she get to that point someday? Probably. She's a very smart woman, very capable. I have no doubt. You know what I mean? But um, that Stanford education, albeit be um, especially highly esteemed and respected everywhere, especially on the West Coast, they'll tell you is not going to get you a coaching job. Okay. No, and I agree. I think this was just floated out there to catch some people and see who, where the leaks were uh, in the front office in this organization and John Dorsey's, you know, protecting himself and protecting the organization. But I'll tell you where she does have a qualification and that's to be in this front office. Uh, it, it, I would have absolutely no problem bringing Condi Rice in uh, to, to learn football under John Dorsey. And if she wants to be a coach one day, then, you know, that's a good start for her. Uh, she has the experience, like you said, with the college football championships. She's got the education. Uh, she's uh, passion, uh, passionate about football. Uh, and, you know, bringing that in, in a different look into the front office I think would be very beneficial for the Cleveland Browns, and I'd be all about a, a position for Condi uh, with the Cleveland Browns, just not on the sidelines. Yeah, she's a real Browns fan, too. I'll say that. 100% yeah. has been a real Browns fan all the way through and through for a long time with the rest of us suffering Browns fans. So, um, The show was called Ridiculousness just because that rumor was so ridiculous. Also, what's going on with the Cavs as well. Shout out to Rob Deerdick, you know, Cincinnati, Ohio's own, uh, to steal the name of his show on MTV. But um, we get to the Bengals, Jake. How do you see this game playing out? Um, We know they lost a heartbreaker uh, not being able to stop the run, so hopefully Nick Chubb gets to run wild the way Lamar Jackson did for 27 times. Um, But do you think the Browns get this one against the Bengals this week? Yeah, I do. I think the Bengals are really banged up. You're probably not going to see A.J. Green. Uh, that defense is a shell of itself right now. And, you know, I, I, it, you shouldn't need extra motivation, and it shouldn't matter. But bringing Hugh Jackson in there, these guys are going to really be lit up to try to beat this team and to make a statement to Hugh Jackson. And uh, it, I, I know it's a little thing, but it's a thing. And, uh, and I think this team is now coming off a bye, uh, had two weeks of prep. I, I think this team is primed and ready to go and is going to go down to Cincinnati and, and take this game. And, and I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they win this game and they maybe even win it going away. There's one guy who's going to be lit up because this guy doesn't have time to waste, and that's one Baker Mayfield. He had to have Hugh Jackson in his ear, had to have Todd Haley in his ear for all summer long, you know, telling him things. And I'm sure some of the things they were doing were helping him, but some of those things were hampering his development. And it looks like this guy's playing a lot looser and a lot freer. And why not go all the way out on Sunday? Now, if you lose the game, you lose the game, man. But you lose it the way that you love playing, and you lose it the way that you know how to play. And – 
I mean, if I see that from Baker Mayfield, I'm going to be happy, win or lose. And that's the biggest thing to me because he should have a weight lifted off of him. And also, he's the type of guy, from everything that I know, the Callan Cowherd and stuff like that, who loves to have that kind of ammunition that you talk about to drive him. Yeah, and you got to hats off to Freddie Kitchen. Uh, you know, he he's put him in better positions to succeed right now. Um, whether that's even the gadget play that didn't work in Atlanta against Atlanta, where he was running out off the the uh, the pass to catch the pass, and they just happened to be in a two man zone, and the safety was still there. If it if that doesn't happen and they didn't disguise that coverage, he's gone, and it's a touchdown. But just to take that chance and to to be a little bit more free-flowing, and uh, it, it feels like they're having more fun out there for sure. Uh, one other thing that I learned in that Bull and Fox interview with Dorsey that I didn't know and was kind of surprised to hear, Dorsey didn't hire Todd Haley. He, he put that right on Hugh Jackson. He said that was Hugh Jackson's decision mm-hmm. to bring in Todd Haley. Uh, and the fact that he had him at Kansas City, Dorsey had him at Haley at, at Kansas City, uh, I was really surprised to find that out. And actually quite happy to find that out because uh, that was the one thing that I was like, well, why did you fire him? And uh, if you brought him in here and there was bickering and all that other sort of stuff, that was kind of a black mark, uh, I thought, on D- Dorsey so far. And the fact that it was you that brought him in there and they kind of both made their bed. And, you know, Dorsey, uh, Haley, we talked about it. He doesn't exactly have the best track record as a human being. Uh, so uh, to, to know that and now that it's a clear house, and it allowed Dorsey to send the message that this this football organization is going to be on the same page. And we're not going to fight it out in the media, and we're not going to have bickering and back and forth and power plays uh, during press conferences. And I think that was a watershed moment for this organization as far as the culture. And, and we've been screaming for it since 99. The culture has to change, and we're seeing that now. Well, yeah, I, I hope what you said earlier was correct, too, that that was the moment that, uh, you know, Dorsey proved to Haslam, you know, what I said is right. I mean, like I, I said on one podcast, I always feel like, you know, he goes with the last guy that tells him what he wants to hear, but hopefully he sees this as the truth, like those guys. And once again, the statement that they made was that they wanted to develop Baker. So my thing was, okay, you realize you got a quarterback, you want to develop him, you can't do it with these two knuckleheads, you know, trying to see – who can piss feather in the snow? You know what I mean. So like, it 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 makes a lot of sense. Hopefully that's what it is, and and the organization seems to me be moving forward in a good way. So um, we'll see you on sun, on Sunday. I feel that the Browns have a good chance to beat the Bengals. Just just seeing where they are, like you said, they're healthy, um, health versus unhealthy. Um, I don't know how the Browns do it. They have never. I, I haven't had a finger, and I knew they would win that Falcons game. This one, I just feel like they're going to pull it out some way, and I think it's going to be on the shoulders of Baker Mayfield this time. I would love to see Miles Garrett score? step up and have a good, great, a great play. I think the Browns win 24-17. I think it's going to be a close one. Okay. Yeah, we're in the same ballpark. I was going to say 28-20, something like that, 31-20. Yeah, I think Joe Mixon has a big day. That's the one thing that uh, I think it's going to be Joe Mixon versus Nick Chubb on the ground. I think we're going to see a lot of ground and pound and then the, which quarterback can make plays, and I'm hoping that's Baker on the Brown side. So. All right. Andy Dalton will throw up an interception, though. I will make that prediction. Sure, he will. I know that's not one. I know. I know. I'm not stepping out on Shocker. a small limb. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, 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 you know. Well, easy, easy, D. <laughs> All right. 
So that's this podcast. We want to say happy Thanksgiving to everybody, Jake. Uh, let folks know what the holiday schedule is this week and next uh, for what they can expect coming from your other media outlets. We've been doing a podcast with Mike Young at CG Technology uh, and uh, also writing a blog when we can't get to record, but uh, going to continue doing that. So uh, In the Book is back. Uh, everything to Generate Nation, we're going to continue that on here throughout the football season, and uh, we'll see where that goes. But uh, make sure you catch uh, Mike Young and myself uh, right here on With an Ohio Bias with uh, In the Book, Everything Degenerate Nation. Uh, well, we'll talk at you next time, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy your turkey and, of course, all the sports that you can watch. And get ready for a special 10th unit report. We're going to be talking about, of course, the big game.